and welcome to the Noise Creators Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Cannon, and today I'm very, very excited because I got to interview one of my favorite bands making punk today, who go by the name of Pup. Uh, we got into their creative process and get a nice look at what you should expect from their new record. I was pretty excited. I think this is a great, great chat on how this band achieves some of their really, really great music, and I hope you check it out. Hey, one second before we get started with this interview. Noise Creators is able to do these cool podcasts because we're a service, and we're trying to get the word out about our service to people. So if you enjoy this podcast, it's really, really important that you share it to people so more people can get to know what we're doing trying to connect musicians with producers to make better music and make better records for you all to listen to. So please, please, please help us out. If you like this and like what we're doing, share it, tweet it, Facebook it, Instagram it, tumble it, whatever you like to do, do that. As well, we're going to start doing a really cool thing. If there's a great quote from these podcasts that you really enjoy, put it on a graphic, tweet it, Facebook it, take a picture of it, and send it to us at Noise Creators on every single one of the social networks. And what we're going to do is we're going to share the best ones. And if you're one of the best ones, we're going to send you a list of prizes we have. We have a bunch of cool, rare things from bands that aren't as much of a use to us. We have a couple of extras of rare pressings of vinyl, all sorts of cool stuff. You can choose from a list and we'll send that out to you for free if you share a really cool quote that we like and we use. Thanks so much for helping out, and please, please, please help us spread the word on our service. Thanks. So where are you guys at now? Are you guys, uh, I think you're about to leave for a tour again? Yeah, uh, we're all just kind of pulling our shit together for um, our trip to the UK and Europe. Uh, it's today, I guess Friday, I don't know when this airs, but it's the 15th, and we're leaving later tonight. And we're trying to, as usual, overextend ourselves, and we're going to have a rehearsal just before we leave. So. Oh, man. But it's uh, just, I mean, we want to be as prepared as possible. So, so speaking of, uh, of prepared as possible, I think that that's one of the more interesting things about you guys is that, you know, I, I think every band, it's like they're always, I wish we were as good on record as we are live. And I think you guys are one of the few bands that really gets your live intensity onto record. Can you tell me about the recording process for, I guess let's actually just start with the first record and then we'll get to the one that's coming out soon. Right, well, first I appreciate that. That's because we always have tried to do that. And if it comes across, that's awesome. In terms of the first record, it was just uh, writing it. It was writing songs over a long period of time. So we had been playing shows for a long period before we recorded it. And we kind of knew what it would sound like and we've all been playing shows anyway for all of our collective musical lives quite a bit i mean we had a fair idea of what it should feel and sound like to play a live show and it's just like not being lazy and trying to sound like you're actively engaged in the performance which is like it's a hard thing to capture but like when you feel engaged and excited i think you know like you're like on stage you know that you're like you're really pushing as hard as possible to like squeak out a good performance. So really, I mean, whatever that is, we just try to replicate that in the studio and it's, yeah, it's just like, enjoy what you're doing is the biggest thing. 
Nice. So to, to go backwards a little bit, so you mentioned previous bands. Uh, so my coming to understand you guys was the first full, like, that's the only thing I've ever saw on Spotify. But before that, were you guys in a lot of bands before Pup? Individually, yeah, we were, we've all been playing for a while and in various, like, formations. Like the three guys, me, um, Steve, and Nestor have been playing together for... I mean, over a decade at this point. We've all been in other projects outside of the three of us, so it's like just tons of bands. And then Stefan has had his own stuff uh, separately, and then the worlds kind of collided and we created Pup. So yeah, we have a lot of playing under our belts at this point. Nice. And so when you guys got together, was there an idea behind the band, or was it more just, you know, similar music tastes? This is a cool person. Did you guys have, like, an idea you wanted to explore? There's no idea. It was like definitely like this is these are cool guys and we have very similar work ethics. Mm. But it started off uh, more like I guess Stefan at that point was more of a singer songwritery type. Mm-hmm. So it would it would have been more f- like folky on mm. the folky side of things. And for the rest of us, that's totally cool. We just want to play, so we'll be in that band. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Eventually, as we saw it, kind of like coming together as a real project. I think more of our individual influences kind of crept in and it became heavier and weirder, but still maintaining that pop bent. So it was like, there's no real plan set out. Mm. It just evolved into what it is now, basically. So what were some of those individual influences that you guys had when it first came out that were really strong? Like Steph loves Built to Spill and Mm. like there's this awesome band from Canada called rural alberta advantage oh yeah that's those records are great and he he loves i mean he loves all sorts of stuff but they're like they're all they have the common theme is they all have a poppy sort of i won't say like lackadaisical but like it's it's rough around the edges Mm -hmm. and that has its own charm obviously and he brings a lot of that in his writing and then i definitely have a ton of influences across the board i listen to a lot of music but the heavy shit is my favorite like dillinger escape plan and like high on fire and i listened to a lot of bad religion in high school and that stuff i guess all the punk influences the dillinger things making more sense sense to me now that you say it like i i did uh i worked on miss machine and when i heard your drumming i was like actually like oh this guy like he hits like chris yeah chris is one of my favorite drummers uh him and him and billy like they're It's crazy. Like, they're so good. But yeah, uh, so, I mean, I try not to let that <laughs> come through too much because that can be, I mean, they're their own thing and mm-hmm. I'm not going to go injecting something that insane and frenetic into something, like, inorganically. But they they have a certain thing, like, I think one of the things people don't understand about, like, a Dillinger escape plan is, like, the accents and when to make a part, like, a little bit more intense on the drums. And that's, I think, one of the things I really like about your playing is that that's very emotionally appropriate at the right times and when i see you guys alive and on record oh that's i appreciate that that's yeah it's just like finding i like finding times where there's a concerted effort towards like conveying a a melodic idea and the drums can be melodic a melodic device as well so i think that you can make a great effect in sections Mm -hmm. not doing it too often but like really bringing out a melodic idea by everyone's punctuating that part and then you drop more into like a groove sort of thing i think that's a very effective device i think that's a a very good way uh of explaining it so i had heard you guys recorded a lot of the first record live yeah it was all i mean this the second record as well Mm -hmm. uh it was all yeah everything was live sometimes like 
we did one on the new record. We did one song in in a take. Like we did a oh, safety. Wow. Take. We did a safety take, like as you do. But it just happened that the first one was the one. But yeah, we do we do everything live. That's part of like being able to see each other and kind of communicate and even like sometimes try to make each other fuck up is <laughs> like an awesome way of keeping that energy. Nice. And who did you guys do the record with? The guy's name is Dave Schiffman. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So he was an old. Uh, he worked to do a lot of work with Dave Sardi and Rick Rubin, if I remember correctly. Yeah, he, did, he did a lot with Rick Rubin. That's yeah. He's awesome. Like he's. I can't say enough about Dave. He's he was like our dream guy. Our our manager was like, "Who do you want to go with?" And we were we put together a list, mm-hmm. and there's not anything against the other producers, but mm-hmm. we're, our manager was like, "You guys have to shoot for the stars." And then we had, I guess, collectively been listening to the Bronx Three. Ah. And like I love Mars Volta mm-hmm. and all that, and then I'm like, oh, that's what right. about- he he was the engineer on Deloust. Is that correct? Up to and including Amputecture. Oh wow! I, I think, and he like he did a one of another Canadian band called Priestess, and that record's great. So we're like, what about Dave? And then it happened. We sent the re- the record or like demos to him, and he's like, "Yeah, I love this. Let's do it." How long? How long do you guys usually uh, have you? T- did you take in the studio to do these records? The first one was probably about a month in total. Probably two weeks, like of hard bed track type stuff. We went to the first record uh, to Montreal, mm-hmm. an awesome little studio called Mix Art, mm-hmm. and it's like this really charming sort of uh it was an old space but it had like lots of awesome creaky charm so that i guess uh, infused our our music a little and then this new record's a different studio yeah it's a union uh sound company in toronto Mm. and that place is also awesome it's it's kind of the opposite it's brand new Mm. and like all new baffling and stuff like you you see all like the in the old studios just like everything is kind of falling apart and frayed Mm -hmm. Yep. And that's it's that's cool. And then in the new ones, obviously, it's it has its like sheen, like a, a veneer almost, but it's still really cool. And that's funny. It's a difference, too, because like I so a lot of bands like, you know, it's like I was say, saying this last night is like, you know, like with some bands, you're like, ah, oh, you know, I really don't need them to reinvent the wheel yet. I don't need them to, to totally change their sound. I'm still loving the sound. I could do like former records. And this record just sounds like a better version of the last record to me, like better songwriting, more intense. Uh, but it sounded almost like it was like the same studio and same production. So I'm shocked to hear it was a different, different room. Thank you. Um, I mean, a lot of that is Dave, like Dave, his, his, he's like the fifth member. He infuses his personality mm. a lot. I think that's probably what people will hear is that similar, like it is an extension of the first record in that way. Um, in a large way. But yeah, that's what we tried to do is just try to make a better, more confident version of the first record. And I think on all fronts, including on Dave's side, uh, in terms of establishing a very like idiosyncratic tone to the record, he really succeeded. Like he really did an awesome job. Yeah, I'm super, super impressed. Like two listens yesterday on my studio monitors and I was like, really like it's very rare that you're like, ah, everything improved just just enough that this is a perfect execution. So I was curious. So you guys toured immensely off the last record. Were there any lessons you kind of learned, though, in music creating over the last year that went into this next record? Over... I mean, over touring, basically the lesson you learn, at least for me, the lesson you learn every show is like trying to be more present, like in the mm-hmm. moment, as opposed to overthinking every detail. I mean, that plays 
into writing, obviously. It's it can be a long process and you don't need to torture yourself with the like the excruciating minutia. Mm. So it's like trying as much as possible to be present when you're writing, just like not thinking about whether or not this is a good idea, just like trying stuff. Just yes. like try it as much as possible. And but also keep an eye on time. Like that's a big thing. Mm. And also how much effort you exert. And those are all lessons you can take on the road and that I guess kind of played into the actual process. And so to drill down on that a, a, a little bit more, what you're more saying is like, I think a lot of bands get in these fights where they're like, no, that's not going to work. Or they just like kind of shoot down ideas conceptually yeah. in their head. You're saying, try the idea, listen to it and feel if it feels good. Yeah. But also like keep an eye on, it's like, is that actually good? Is it cliched? Like obviously mm. all that stuff, like, is it corny? And there are, there are times to employ corny and cliched and there are times to not. And that's not saying like we don't get in disagreements about stuff. And like if somebody's in a mood, they're going to shoot down an idea. But like it's we try to like if not that day, we like a week later, we try to hash it out and get back on the same page, at least like in terms of our friendship, because that'll help the professional side, obviously. Yes, that that, 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 that is important. And I guess uh, something people are wondering about uh, that when they hear a song title like, uh, if this tour doesn't kill you, then I will. I mean, obviously, tongue in cheek, or I mm. hope it's obvious. <laughs> but it's, it's definitely reflective. I mean, when you go on tour, it is like a marriage. Like, you're married. I'm married to three other guys. And, like, it's... <laughs> Like, I mean, idiosyncrasies can be charming at first. Like, that's the part you like about the person. But then sometimes that, like, over time, you spend a lot of time with them, obviously. And this is why it's like a marriage. It's like those little things get on your nerves. And mm-hmm. it's usually never to do with the person who's annoying you. It's always how you feel. Mm-hmm. It's, it's reflective more of your general attitude. You take things personally when you shouldn't. And then it's also just really intense. So it creates a really intense atmosphere and then you end up just being angry for no reason (laughs) and sometimes for a reason. And it just like creates this kind of environment where uh, you just get mad at each other and it's never usually for a good reason. So that's kind of like, I guess what to take away from it. It's just being a human person dealing with other human people. Well, being a human person, then the uh, added stress of usually being underslept, dehydrated, malnutritioned on tour also does not help, I'm sure. Yeah, those are definitely important factors. (laughs) (laughs) How does a pup song usually come into being? Usually it starts with Steph or Nestor brings in something. Mm -hmm. It's either a full song, like structurally or otherwise, like it has a like verse, chorus, verse, chorus kind of thing. Mm Mm-hmm. And we kind of completely rip it apart. We try tons of different angles, usually way too many. There's that, like, we, our thing is overthinking parts. Mm. And then in the end, when we have too many ideas, we strip it, strip it back. And then Dave comes in and then he strips it even more back to, like, kind of refine exactly the purpose of the song. Mm. Usually it starts with, like, Nestor or Steph and they bring in a melodic idea or like a riff or something. And we kind of like each bring it home and try to look at it from a bunch of different angles. We come in the next day, we try a bunch of stuff. We argue about parts and then we go away again, maybe leave it to the next week. And it just continues like that with every song. And it can be super painstaking. Like we're all super anal about everything kind of fitting the right way. And with 
moving parts and so many ideas, it can be a little frustrating, but it's, I think like we all have the same objective, which makes it easier. So it's like, we're all trying to get to the same place. It's just, we have different ways of doing it. So, so when you say you all have the same objective, what do you mean by that? Well, obviously to write a song, but like Mm -hmm. to write something that satisfies both. Like, I mean, we all like details, like we all Mm -hmm. like little details, but we also want it to be, we don't want it to be inaccessible in terms like we're not, we're not slave to an audience, but we don't want it to be inaccessible because we like pop music. So it's, Mm like trying to make it interesting and poppy at the same time, which is like a cliche way. Everybody says that, but I I don't think everybody says it, but yes, there is a thing in like a bands that actually people want to listen to that have pop hooks. They do say that. Yeah. Like that's, and that's what we're, that's the objective is make an interesting, but somewhat accessible song. So when you say you all like pop music, what is some of the popular stuff you guys like? There's like the obvious ones. Like, I mean, like Michael Jackson, for instance, Mm. But I, that's insanely full of pop stuff. Yes. Uh, and I mean, Nestor loves Van Halen. Oh, nice. And I mean, we all listen to Taylor Swift. Mm. Uh, it's just like stuff we pull from so many different places. And then like there's like I was saying with Steph's influences, there's a lot of pop in like the rough edge, like indie rock stuff that he listens to. And then there's obviously a lot of pop and stuff like Bad Religion. They like they're like the Everly Brothers. They just write pop songs. <laughs> like that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's Beach Boys of harmonies of uh, old school punk. Exactly. Yeah. And so we pull from those, and we want obviously like not trying to be uh, I guess as verbose as Bad Religion. <laughs> yeah. Or as like some of those punk bands, but yeah, trying to just maintain that pop identity, sort of. Nice. Is there an influence on you guys that no one would expect? I don't know. There's there's so many. Like I love Meatloaf. Oh like, really? That's, so that's one. I don't know if that can be conveyed via drums, because like that's all with the the epic um, like melodrama of mm. a music, but. I mean, I love Meatloaf. I, that's like neat, a song needs to be progressive to me, and they mm. like feel like Meatloaf really. That's like the perfect record for a progressive song. Uh, sorry, Bad Out of Hell. Yeah, I mean, yes. it should be it should be obvious, but it's yeah, Bad Out of Hell. I should say, but I don't think. Yeah, I mean, like, there's nothing to like. We just listen to everything, so mm. I don't know if it'd be super surprising. Was there any influence between the first record or the second record that really came into being on you guys? Obviously, riding around in the van together, I, I know always uh, you, each other's tastes are eventually forced upon each other. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to pinpoint a specific one because we're always listening to each other's music. But the obvious ones to me would be the bands that we played with. Mm. So and that actually you can hear it a lot. I mean, you can hear Titus Andronicus on the record. You can oh, hear true. like the Menzingers mm-hmm. like in here the hard girls like there's t- all the bands we were playing with it's just like you hear their music 30 times on a tour like you hear yeah. them play a set 30 times at least and that kind of i mean that'll just come out it'll just it's in your subconscious at that point and then it just falls out of you and i think that there's a lot of that i was surprised because i showed it to other people and they're like oh this sounds like menzingers or oh mm-hmm. this sounds like Titus. and i was like that's crazy but now that you say that i agree 
because I was going for something totally different. Yeah, it's funny. I even heard a little Menzingers in the first tour. The way I first heard you guys is Tommy uh, was like, you have to hear this band. So I was like, okay, this, this is very awesome. good. I'm, gl- I'm very glad that uh, this was recommended to me because usually awesome. most recommendations are terrible. Um, <laughs> it's, it's true. That's most good. most friends' recommendations are not good. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's rough. <laughs> um, I think that there is an interesting thing, too, though, because I, I think that that actually is one of the underreported things is how much touring with the band ends up being an influence. And when bands are thinking about who they tour with, they don't really think about that. There's usually going to be some of that that's going to come out upon them once they are out with that band for a while. Yeah. And, you know, whether that's even sound or just the advice and the thoughts that band has. Yeah, I mean, like, that's... Going back to Menzingers and Titus, I mean, they mm-hmm. kind of have opposite views of writing. Not opposite views, but the way their music is presented, it's kind of opposite uh, views structurally, mm-hmm. where Menzingers are doing like a pop, like it's, they're fairly concise pop mm-hmm. songs with like clearly catchy parts. And then Titus is a lot like, I mean, double that, album. <laughs> yeah. Like Pat Stiggles is into long form. Uh, multiple parts still extremely catchy but very like the the lyrics are very vital and very like self-reflective and intelligent not to say menzingers aren't but like that's super intense it's like a psychology course when you listen to titus and Mm -hmm. that's That's a good way of putting it super cool like he's so insanely reflective it's Mm -hmm. it's it's crazy oh yeah he's a super super smart guy oh yeah so to shift gears a little bit, the one other thing you guys are obviously known for, aside from making great music, is you guys are the best band in punk at videos right now. How do you guys keep up such consistent, how does do these video ideas come into being? I mean, aside from the music, we have almost nothing to do with <laughs> the videos. Like, we're in the videos, but it's the the two people that we've worked with almost exclusively thus far. Their names are Jeremy Shalin-Ryu and Chandler Levac. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're, uh, like, unbelievably talented filmmakers. Like, it's it's ridiculous that we fell into this relationship. Mm-hmm. One of them or both of them have been involved in every single video that we've done so far, barring Back Against the Wall, which was just mm-hmm. like a tour compilation. Yes. Uh, but they, it's just like they, it's insane. It's just like their work ethic, their vision for creative ideas and how stuff fits together and narratives and stuff. It's just ridiculous. They're just so good at what they do it's and we're very grateful to have them that's awesome so it's more of a thing of you guys say we want to do a video do you guys have an idea type of thing than bouncing it back and forth yeah i mean we we do ask for pitches on stuff but usually it's just like they come to us with an idea like the tour video jeremy was like well i have this idea for this song and then he kind of (laughs) he gave us like his frantic pitch as he does he like a lot of creative types has like this brain that moves too fast for his mouth. And yes, he, yes. we could tell he was really excited. And when he's excited about the idea, it's like, it's going to be good. He's going to find a way to make it excellent. Even it may seem like there's so many ideas, which obviously in the, if this tour doesn't kill you, that's, mm-hmm. there are a lot of ideas, but he made like, he made it work. And oh yeah, like, so he pit either he'll frantically pitch it or we'll get something in writing and it can be from multiple people, but it, I mean, they're the best. So it's, 
and it's easy to go to the source. <laughs> very cool. So that concludes my very serious questions. Uh, I wanted to just see if uh, what I like to do on my other podcast, and I'm going to give a shot to this, is can you recommend something that you've really liked lately that's not self-promotional? Yeah, there's a band you might be familiar with. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're called Mutoid Man. Oh, yeah. Great band. Great band. Uh, that Yeah, their latest album is everything I've ever wanted out of a metal record. Mm. So it's like, yeah, I can't recommend that more for people who like metal. Yeah, it's ex uh, Caven, right? Uh, yeah, Caven and Ben from Converge. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what Nick has done, but, um, but he's, I mean, he does front of house for St. Vitus. And, yes. And, and then, yeah, I mean, he's just like a phenomenal bass player. So it's, it doesn't matter where he came from. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they're awesome. They're so good. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember the golden rule of the internet, that if you enjoy something you got for free, please tweet, Facebook, share, or tell your friends about it in whatever way you like to do that. Please check out Noise Creator's website and take a look around. We have tons of interviews, discographies, Spotify playlists from all the best producers out there on our service. If you're unsure about who your band should work with, we can help you get the best producer fit for your record. To keep up with us, follow at Noise Creators on Twitter, Instagram, SoundCloud, Tumblr, or Facebook. This podcast can also be found wherever podcasts are found, including iTunes and Stitcher. I'm your host, Jesse Cannon. I can be found on Twitter at jessecannon or at jessecannon.com. Again, please help spread the word about this podcast and what Noise Creators does so we can keep this going.